Welcome to Conversations from the Leading Edge, a monthly radio show and podcast featuring interviews about extraordinary advances in the area of peace and conflict studies happening at or around Columbia University. Each month, we feature interviews with scientists and thought leaders who are conducting groundbreaking work aimed at managing conflict constructively and sustaining peace both locally and globally. My name is Peter T. Coleman, and I'm coming to you from the studios of WKCR at Columbia University. The show is sponsored by AC4, the Advanced Consortium on Cooperation, Conflict, and Complexity at the Earth Institute at Columbia University. And now for today's show. Okay, so thank you for joining us today. Um, this is the Conversations from the Leading Edge podcast uh, based out at the Earth Institute at Columbia University. Uh, my name is Sultan. I'll be the host today, and I'm joined by two guests. Um, first, Marcus Armstrong Patterson. He's a double major at University of Hawaii um, in political science and economics. Um, he's also the founder and president of the Association of Leaders, Philanthropists, and Human Activists, um, as well as the president of the youth chapter at the NAACP out here in Honolulu. Um, I'm also joined by Mr. Josh Dambro. He is the Honolulu's Chief Resilience Officer, as well as the Executive Director of the Office of Climate Change, Sustainability, and Resilience, um, promoting uh, sustainability for um, in Mayor Kirk Caldwell's administration. Mm-hmm. Um, so the goal of this podcast today is really just to talk about what Hawaii and Honolulu um, is doing to in the city and, and the whole state to promote environmental issues, resilience, uh, coastlines, erosion, um, and you know how, how it could set an example for other cities um, in America and around the world. Um, so I guess uh, we could start with uh, just a just a brief question about maybe uh, your role, sure. um, Mr. Stambro, uh, as the chief resilience officer and as the executive director. Yeah, no, I'm happy to give a little background. Welcome home. Hey, thank you. Good Appreciate it. Um, so the Office of Climate Change, Sustainability, and Resiliency is a mouthful, uh, long title, but you have the voters of Honolulu to blame for it because this is one of the few offices that's focused on these issues that was actually um, put in place by voters by a charter amendment in 2016. It wasn't sort of created by a mayor. It wasn't just sort of something that was an executive decision. It was actually a community-based decision. Um, and it, you know, won by like 17 points at the polls, which is a landslide. Right. Um, and so I think, you know, in, in addition to that, it's the only municipal office in the United States that has the word climate change in the title. So what that does is it shows you, one, that people on Oahu and in Hawaii um, absolutely recognize that climate change is real, it's happening now, it needs to be addressed. They're not afraid of calling out what needs to happen um, around these issues and, and, and what the actual goal is around climate change. Um, but it, it also has to do, I think, with um, you know the connection between people and the land and the, the place in Hawaii. Um, you know, folks in Hawaii don't move a lot. We're not a transient population. Uh, folks that are in the water when they're kids are you know in the water when they're adults with their kids, and they can sense and taste you know, increased saltiness, uh, you know, more um, temperature, higher temperature in the water. They can see when corals are bleaching. Um, They're up in the mountains, they're hunting, or they're hunting with their kids, and they see, you know, certain plants aren't living, or it's getting drier, or we're getting less water in streams. So they know um, deep in their bones that something's changing around them. Right, yeah, it seems like, you know, there's a lot of, um, what, what has been the, you know, the, you know, since the voters really, established this office, 
what has been um, sort of the public reception of it in you know the short one and a half years that you've been you know, been running? Well, so we took off like a rocket because I started on uh, May first, twenty seventeen, mm-hmm. and then what thirty days later, I think it was on June first. Donald Trump decided to pull the U.S. out of the Paris Climate Agreement. Right. So there was, you know, I wasn't here for but a month before suddenly all eyes were on what is Mayor Caldwell going to do, what is Governor Ige going to do, what is the local government in Hawaii going to do when the federal government has abdicated their responsibility around the biggest issue threatening humanity. Um, And so, you know, we were immediately sort of thrown into the spotlight. Um, the great thing is that, you know, in Hawaii where people do have the highest, you can look at the, uh, the Yale um, climate change study that they put out every two years. It shows every single county around the country, you know, how much folks are aware of climate change, whether they think it's going to personally hurt them in the right. future. Um, and, and Hawaii is one of the highest places um, in terms of awareness. So everybody asked this office, what are we going to do? And we responded, Mayor Caldwell, four days later, got together with every other mayor, in the state and mm-hmm. alongside Governor Ige um, and signed a bill and did proclamations to say every single jurisdiction in this state is still in the Paris Climate Accord. Um, and so now you've got a situation where you've got, you know, <clears throat> I think 17 states, mm-hmm. um, over 400 cities that are still in Paris. Okay. Um, 40% of the U.S. population, um, when you add up the jurisdictions that are still in Paris within the United States, it's the third biggest country in the world after the U.S. and China. Wow. So okay. when people say that the U.S. is not in the Paris Climate Agreement, I beg to differ because half of us are still in, mm-hmm. um, and that number is growing every day. Right, right. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, and ha- has you seen sort of, sort of the state and the local um, communities coming together to, you know, to tackle these climate change issues where the federal government is sort of lacking in that. Um, is it, have you seen it setting an example in, uh, for Honolulu uh, in particular for other cities to, to jump on board? Yeah, so you see a lot of progress on the um, renewable energy side. Mm-hmm. We've had a, um, the Hawaii Clean Energy Initiative has been in place for over a decade. We recognized long ago that um, you know, you can't have a strong economy when you're exporting 10% of your GDP to pay for oil from right. outside. Um, you know, we've, we've gotten ourselves into a systemic pickle <laughs> around, you know, reliance on outside resources mm-hmm. in Hawaii because it was just easy. Um, you know, car- carbon fuels are amazing. They have an incredible amount of energy contained in a tiny little space, and yeah. so it makes everything really, really easy. Um, but that easiness comes at a price as we're now finding out with the fires in California, the storms that threatened Hawaii this last season, um, the floods that we had in East Honolulu. Right. I mean, we had a rain bomb. They're having to make up new words for, you know, weather events because of climate change. They, they now have a thing they call a rain bomb. And where my brother lives on Kauai, a neighbor island, they got 50 inches of rain in 24 hours. There has never been that much rain that has fallen in the record books of this entire country. Wow. Um, and it swept away the houses on the other side of the road from it. Right, right. Yeah, he was woken up at 4 a.m., by a mother and her two kids and, and, and her uh, grandma who waited in neck deep water to get out of their houses it got swept away. It wow, came that fast in the middle of the night. So, you know, these are the things that we're seeing on a regular basis that people are beginning to say, you know, hey, this climate change got my name on it. Right. <laughs> and we got to do something about it. Now, the problem is, is that structurally, 
we've built an entire communications and a transportation and electrical mm -hmm. grid and infrastructure around fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. So this is like turning a, a battleship, right? It's right. going to take long, slow time. We don't have time. Um, so Hawaii has made great progress on the grid, on the, the renewable energy side. Right. Uh, we've doubled the amount of renewable energy on the grid over the past decade, um, and we're making you know further progress there. Um, the thing that Mayor Caldwell and the other uh, three mayors are really concerned about is ground transportation because 21% right. of our carbon emissions and pollution come from ground transportation. And unless we electrify and uh, get folks into um, public transportation, bikes, new mobility, there's some really exciting things happening around new mobility, electric scooters, right. electric bikes, um, car sharing, uh, yeah. autonomous vehicles, mm -hmm. they can really, um, you know, Turn up the yeah. turn up the um, the ease of being able to actually live a zero carbon lifestyle, yeah. but they're not here yet. Right. I don't, yeah. don't want to I don't want to pretend like Honolulu's out yeah, in front. We're, we're, yeah, we're getting there. We're, getting <laughs> we're but we're we're yeah. talking about it, and right. people are seriously, you know, trying to find ways to innovate and hack the system. Right. Yeah, it's really good. Um, and as far as that, I'm. It's my understanding that uh, Hawaii has a goal to be 100 percent renewable energy by a certain date. 2030? Yeah, so it was 2045. 2045. And what happened um, was Hawaii was the first state in the union to adopt a goal of 100% renewable energy, and people laughed at it at the time. Right. But now, California, the fifth biggest economy in the world, um, has the exact same date. 2045, 100% renewable energy. Yeah. They also have, by executive order, the same law that we have, which is a zero-carbon economy by 2045. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the transportation piece comes in, because you can get the grid to be 100% clean energy, but if you're not cleaning up your transportation space, you're not cleaning up, cleaning up your building emissions, then you can't get to that 100% um, carbon-free economy. And that's when you know you actually have an economy that's built to last. Because if you're not importing fossil fuels, you're not dependent on you know, Indonesia or Saudi Arabia or oppressive governments that are, you know, can turn on a dime on you, now you actually have the ability to home grow that energy and those dollars stay in local pockets. And I think that's something that we really need to um, make sure that we focus on in this entire sort of revolution around the economy is making sure it's a just transition to get to a clean economy and not leave a single neighborhood or a single mm -hmm. citizen behind because that's happened in the past. I think we should be frank about, right. you know, so solar PV panels, the tax credits that were associated with that. Right. You know, we know where those panels went. We know whose right. bottom lines, you know, the people who could afford it wound up paying less energy than folks who couldn't afford it who had sky-high utility bills. Right. And that's not um, how you build a sort of a sustainable economy in both economics but also sustainable in terms of the environment. Thank you. Maybe, maybe we could talk on some of those issues about sort of environmental justice and how it relates to social change um, and social justice. Um, we know that um, you know, poor communities, communities of color are sometimes, um, are oftentimes actually affected a lot more um, by it. Um, we actually talked about this at you know, the NAACP. Um, and maybe you could you know, bring in some of that insight when we went to you know, testify at the EPA. Yeah, I think one of the biggest problems that we've been seeing is that uh, I would say that Hawaii is not one of those places that we have to worry about it, and I think that's a good thing, but uh, major corporations and their factories, um, and basically corporations, major franchises, how, how does Honolulu um, and this, uh, this department uh, directly, how do you guys get past those 
those stagnancies when it comes to the corporations, when it comes to uh, rich landowners and them not wanting to give up certain privileges, when it comes to actually like starting to make that change, like especially with ground transportation, when you have a group, of, a small group of people that have a lot of money that have the ability to influence policy, then you have this big group of people that don't have a lot of money and don't know how to influence policy. How do you, how does environmental justice, um, particularly what you're talking about with switching the grid and um, then ground transportation, how is that going to affect the lower income class? Yeah, I mean, that's a, a great question. It's one that we wrestle with every day. And in fact, um, you know, we have our blind side and we've, we're actually hiring right now a uh, climate and equity position for the office mm -hmm. to make sure that we aren't having unintended consequences. If we push forward a policy or a bill, you know, we want somebody who is sort of monitoring the wires of all the other cities and what are the bills that they're putting forward to get to this zero carbon economy. Were there unintended consequences? Was there something that happened that, you know, people didn't foresee or worse, they, you know, they did foresee that they're trying to, you know, get an angle on. Um, and so we want a position that's actually going to look at that and give us a heads up. Like, here's how you can design this bill in a way that it's going to be more equitable. Here's going to be, here's a way that you should design it to actually reach those those vulnerable neighborhoods first, rather yes. than, rather than you know let it be. I think I think we want to focus on equality of outcome rather than just sort of the um, equality of opportunity because we know how that script ends. If it's just oh anybody can come and do it, um, you really have to tailor some of the policies. And I and, and I think there there are some real issues out here in, you know in Hawaii. If you look at environmental justice issues. Right now, we're having a um, situation out on the Waianae Coast. You know, this is a community that has borne the brunt of the landfill, um, military storage of munitions. Um, the, there's a construction landfill out there, the power generation plant, the emissions from that. All of that concentrated in one area. And um, right now, there's a proposed wind farm in the same area. And the community is saying, look, you know, have, have we paid... Uh, you know, have we borne the burden enough for this island? Um, so even, you know, a project that has good intentions around sort of cleaning up the economy, if all that infrastructure is loaded in the backs of a particular neighborhood, yeah. at a certain point, when do folks say, hey, somebody else going to pick up this, right. this burden as well? So it does happen out here, and we've got to be really cognizant um, that we are not overloading one community uh, at the expense of others. Right. Yeah. That's real. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, thanks. thanks. Thanks for answering. Um, what is the resilience strategy? I saw on your guys' yeah. web. Like, what exactly does that entail? Is there, like, uh, certain guidelines or an agenda that you have for your resilience strategy? Or is it um, something that's, like, brand new? So funny you should ask. Um, up on my computer right now, we're drafting the different elements of the resilience strategy. Um, okay. We were lucky enough to get selected by the uh, Rockefeller Foundation, 100 Resilient yeah. Cities, as one of the 100 cities around the globe that they wanted to invest in to say, hey, we think you're facing some you know, sort of over-the-horizon challenges in the 21st century, mm -hmm. and if you know, we would like to see the models that you guys can come up with to then spread it to, to other cities. Um, so for the last year, we've been going out to the community. We went to 33 neighborhood boards, right. every single neighborhood right. board on the island, and did, we gave a presentation. We took this feedback from the community, met with over 200 um, organizations, community groups. Wow. We got like 5,000 different inputs from people, and we basically wanted to say, like, this should be your plan. What, what do you want to see the city government do around resilience? Where, where is your perceptions around? Where's our risk? What do you, you know, what makes you scared at night when you know, and um, or what do you struggle with? 
And so that it was so crystal clear. We went around Island. We talked to decision makers. We talked to cabinet, Mayor Caldwell's cabinet. Right. And the results were the same for every single group. Wow. So, you know, one of the great things about Honolulu and Hawaii, I think, is it's a flatter society. I think it's, I think people tend to know folks outside of their own, mm-hmm. you know, little bubble. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that Rockefeller noted as well. They said, we've never seen this consistency around the issues being identified no matter who you talked to, right? Because in some cities you may go to one population and they say, you know, policing is the problem. And yeah. you might go to another and be like, it's high taxes, it's the problem, right? Yeah. And so um, here folks were like, look, it's the long-term high cost of living is killing us um, and making our kids move away. Um, the, we don't think we're prepared for a natural disaster and we're 2,500 miles away from any help. Right. Um, and climate change. Climate change is this, you know, sort of sleeper, mm-hmm. um, but we're seeing these impacts and this flooding and the sea level rise and some of our roads are falling into the ocean and we got to do something about it. Right. And so those, you know, those kind of filter to the top. Right. And so we're designing our um, resilience strategy around addressing those major issues. Those are the threats, but what we did as a city, and I think this is different from some of the other cities in the, in the program, is we said we, we don't want to just focus on our weaknesses. You know, when, when, you're, when you're an individual and you get, you know, you know coaching or mm-hmm. you're trying to be a good leader, they don't say just, you just got to work on your weaknesses, right? Yeah. Because you're born with natural innate strengths and you right. want to, like, double down on those strengths and make sure that you're being the best that you can be because that's your, that's your, right. yeah, that's your power, right. you yeah. know? And so um, we think we can get a lot more mileage out of our singular strength, which is community cohesion. We've got a very tight community. Mm-hmm. We've got the spirit of aloha. Mm-hmm. We have um, people, you know, our cousins are related right. to cousins, yeah. and um, you know, people always ask you where you're from, and then what yeah. they're asking is actually, how do I connect to you? You yeah. know, they want to know which high school you went to, or you know, what neighborhood you live in, so that they right. can find somebody that they know that lives yeah. in that same. Right. Um, and so we believe that community bonds and social capital is actually the number one tool of resilience. Awesome. And so we want to. You know, before we lose that, we want to make sure that we're sort of doubling down on it and lifting it up as a value. As we, we're going to face a lot of challenges in the 21st century, and the number one strength we got is our community ties. And so that's the fourth part of the resilience strategy is affirming that. That's good. I think it. I think that's really good because if you're getting feedback from the community, Mm -hmm. uh, you'll have you know a better understanding of what is acceptable as far as once you go into the implement- implementation phase, it's not sort of imposing things yeah. that you know they mm-hmm. don't agree with, um, mm-hmm. if it's infringing on any sort of sacred lands or any, any mm-hmm. type of things like that. Um, yeah, and I think you know, just having a good relation for the, with the community and letting those, and going to the neighborhood bars and letting those uh, issues be heard is, is you know, amazing. Yeah, yeah uh, that I, I think right. it's unheard of. I don't think I've heard of anything like this before where they actually went to every in the state go to every single one and actually speak have you guys thought about going to schools yeah so we've gotten a lot of requests from schools actually Mm -hmm. um we are trying to think really deeply about what's the level of exposure that you give to what age group around the issues that we're wrestling with Mm -hmm. i mean you guys know if you read up on what the state of the climate is Mm -hmm. it doesn't look good and so um you know we we, we know that there's a lot of awareness that needs to be built out there. So we have one of our AmeriCorps VISTAs right now looking at different curriculum packages and saying, mm. you know, what's the right level of content to deliver at the right time? Um, but my suspicion is that the kids get it way more than 
we think they do, yeah. um, and that they want real, they want re- yeah. real answers, and they, right. and, you know, they they they're not looking for platitudes or speaking around the issues. Right. right. Um, so we're, we're going to have to figure out how you know we de- deliver that. Yeah. Um, and really, our 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 office is a policy shop. Our day job is we got to develop policies that address these challenges and move us forward. I mean. You know, education and outreach is, is a portion of what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we could be out of school or you know doing you know rotary meetings right. and everything all right. day long, yeah. and you got to know where to balance the you know doing the work and then doing the yeah. outreach piece. But increasingly, we're seeing people they're really hungry for information. Yeah. They're worried, especially the younger know. the younger yeah. generations yeah. are taking it up on their own because you know it's their futures that are are eventually going to have to deal with the consequences of climate change. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, right now we're in an education system that sort of teaches us a model that won't be sustainable for the future yeah. as far as the way we behave, the way we consume, the way, the way we, yeah. The I mean, I think the most powerful thing that came out of the Poland Climate Conference was that uh, young girl from Sweden, was it, or mm-hmm. Norway, mm-hmm. who spoke right at the end, and she said, she said, not only are you loading all of these costs on us in the future, but you're not even, you don't even have the courage to say what you're doing. Right. You know, you're not even willing to say what the, we all know. Yeah. <laughs> We're sitting here, you know, as a 12 year old, I know exactly what the situation is. Right. And you guys are glossing that over too, and you're leaving that mm-hmm. to us to articulate that. And that's just not fair. And I was like, oh, chicken skin, man. I mean, yeah. that is, that's, really? that's heavy, right? You're yeah. like, here's the bill and here's the talking points to tell your own kids, right? Yeah. Instead of us even taking care of that part, so. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> so yeah. we have uplifting, affirming work right. here at the office. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's all just unicorns and rainbows at the uh, climate change no, office. No, <laughs> you, you would add some superheroes at the end of the day. Save, yeah. save well, the I mean, world, the, the good thing about this is on the other side of all of these policies mm. is a better life. Yeah, you know, I mean, every single one of the things that we got to do for climate change is better for equity, mm-hmm. for community empowerment, for health and well-being. I mean, you ride a bike to work and you feel like a million bucks when you get there. Yeah, you yeah. know, you're energized, you got, you're healthier, um, you know, kids are happier, right, right. air is cleaner, it's cooler. You know, yeah, I mean, we, yeah. we got to plant trees. Well, yeah. You got to plant trees because of climate change. Oh, no. You know, then when you go to a field and your kid's playing football... Where do you sit? You sit under the tree like right. everybody does. Right. I mean, these, yeah. these things actually bring so much value, and they, they just improve the quality of life mm-hmm. if we just do them. And we know they're expensive, and, and change is hard. But the problem is is that change is happening around us so fast right. that if we don't change, we're not going to be able to keep things the same. Right. Yeah. And that's what we go out and tell communities all the time. We're like, we know you want to keep things the same. You love this place. You love this coastline. Yeah. You love this your neighborhood. The irony is, is if you want to keep it how it is, we got to change it, everything about how we do things. Otherwise, it's going to get away from us. Right, right. Yeah. yeah one of the questions they asked at the, the conference earlier today at UH was, um, how, how are they going to get people to give up some of those assets that they have? Is, is, is it... Is it possible to really get people that have huge assets like houses, mm-hmm. uh, like like six, seven bedroom houses that they're renting out on Airbnb? You know what I mean? So, you know, they got seven different people living in that house. You know, they only stay there for a week, but they make so much business off of that. Is is there going to actually be an asset that's going to be an equivalent to like an, an Airbnb? You know, 
And like I, I think it's more of a, rot- a rhetorical question to ask, something mm-hmm. to think about. Is like, mm-hmm. h- how do you get somebody that has everything to give it up? Well, I think it's like, what do we really have? You know, mm-hmm. yeah. What makes us happy as people in communities, right? I mean, John Nucci had that great point about when you talk about the trip you took to Paris, you don't talk about, and then I got in a car and I went over here, and then I got in the car and I went over here. No, you talk about the Eiffel Tower, or you mm-hmm. talk about the museum that you went to. Mm-hmm. It's actually the stuff, you know, we want a service. We don't want a product, actually, in our hearts, mm-hmm. right? We want to we want to get somewhere. We don't, you know, we, our car sits for 99% of the day. Yeah. Just sits there. So that's a sunk investment for me. So if I'm paying $12,000 a year just to have a car sit there, and I can get everywhere I need to get to go on some sort of transit pass that I could take an Uber if I need to, but I could take bike share, or I could mm-hmm. take the train, or whatever else, and it only costs me... Five thousand bucks a year. Yeah, that's how much in my pocket, right? right? right that's right. seven grand in my pocket to do all the other things that I want to spend time with my kids, or I want to yeah. go get a bouncy castle, or I want right. to do whatever else, right? And so I think mm-hmm. if people flip it and say, "Do I really love this thing? Yeah, or do I like this lifestyle? Right. Exactly." And if we can get the lifestyle in a zero carbon way, then we're on the path to success. Yeah, that's the path. That's yeah. true. And it kind of depends on how you frame it, you know. Yeah. If, some people are really care about you know just the environmental issues. Mm-hmm. Some people really care about the equity issues, and then some people you have to frame it in such a way that you'll save money doing this, yeah. and you know that's what they'll care about. All people you got to say, yeah, it's all, all people you got to talk about saving money. Yeah. And I mean that's the beauty. I mean the last uh, power purchase contract for solar plus battery out here mm-hmm. was eleven cents a kilowatt hour, and right now we're paying twenty something. Yeah, right, so at a certain point that. You know, Donald Trump can dig coal as much as he wants to. It's not coming back because it's more expensive to, you know, have people risk their life, go out yeah. and get black lung and dig up coal than it is yeah. to put up a solar panel now. Yeah. And so the economics just don't work on that old, you know, version 1.0 industrial yeah. economy. Right. Um, it can't happen. It needs to happen sooner and faster, yeah. but it, the, the, the corner has come. And I think, you know, with electric vehicles, the parity... They expect parity to happen around uh, 2022. Are there policies that we can introduce to give vulnerable communities a credit between now and 2022 Mm -hmm. to make sure that they are on, you know, even cost basis to get that? Because once you get into an electric vehicle, the operations and maintenance and the fuel is half as much. So if you really want people to have more money in their pocket for long-term cost of living, you want everybody to be driving an electric vehicle. Right. It's better than writing somebody a check, right? right. They don't yeah. have to go put gas in it. They don't. There's no oil to change. I've, right. I've had an electric vehicle for six years. Right. So I will never go back. Right. Right. I haven't been to a mechanic. You know, I, I've never been to a gas station. I go home, mm-hmm. plug it in. Now I have privilege because I've got a house to plug it into. If right. I was a renter in a multi-story condominium and the condo owner is not going to allow you to plug. Then you got issues, and that's why we need to flip the script and make sure everybody has a place to charge at work, and that is the real holy grail for us in Honolulu. Because if you can charge your transportation infrastructure during the height of the day when the sun is out, that power is almost free. So we need to make sure that everybody charges from 10 to 2 rather than 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. And that's and that's the 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 trick we gotta um, uh, make happen here. Because as soon as that happens then the power is essentially free. Mm-hmm. And you have universal access right. for people. Even if you live, you know, if you're a renter or you live in a high-rise, yeah. you're still able to charge at work, and that's, awesome. what, that's, that's what we want. Awesome. Uh, can you 
sort of give us some examples of maybe, I know it's only been a year and a half, but some of the policies that you might have gotten passed already um, that came out of this office? Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll, we basically set a, a framework mm-hmm. for what the office wants to do over the, over the long run. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we've been in place about a year and a half. Um, <clears throat> Mayor Caldwell has committed to 100% clean transportation, like right. fossil-free transportation on the entire island by 2045. Um, he has also pledged that the city's going to lead the way and convert our fleet by 2035, 10 years ahead wow. of time. And what that does is it helps um, build the infrastructure out and make it easier for others um, to adopt. We think, you know, electric is going to be a huge portion of that, but hydrogen um, is another um, energy storage mechanism Mm -hmm. that, you know, you can catch the wind at night, put it into hydrogen, put it and drop it into a tank Mm -hmm. um, during the day. We hope that that really comes online soon. Um, Mayor Caldwell also issued a mayor's directive around climate change to basically ensure that every department in their capital planning and in their implementation of projects Mm -hmm. is making sure that they're abiding by the guidance that was set by the Climate Change Commission. So we have a City Climate Change Commission that was implemented at the same time that our office was started Mm -hmm. in in 2016. Um, It's five of the brightest minds and and best science um, around climate, and they basically offer an unbiased opinion about, hey, if you want to be safe and secure in the face of climate change, here's the things you need to do, both to mitigate your emissions, but also to design buildings and look at sea level rise and all that. Um, it's hugely helpful because yeah. you know everybody's asking, like, wow, this stuff's moving so fast, and I don't know what to use. Do I use this set of standards or this set of standards, or you know, do I spitball it? And yeah. the commission is there to be a, you know, a authoritative voice to say, use these numbers for now. We'll come back if we got better numbers. Right. But for now, everybody in the city use these these facts and figures. Yeah. Um, so that's really helped us um, talk to departments about, you know, water infrastructure, sewer infrastructure, those kind of things. Because um, we are going to be planning for an entirely different future. Cool. Wow. Is it doing good work? Trying. Yeah, yeah, doing very good work. I yeah. love coming to work every day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anything? No, I'm good. Um, yeah. Well, right. Yeah, um, yeah, thanks for very much for joining us. Um, again, uh, uh, it was really great to have you on the, on the show on Conversations from the Leading Edge, and I'm, um, you know, I'm glad to bring this you know, back to New York and have you know, some new ears listening onto what uh, you know, the city and county of Honolulu is doing to um, you know, be, on the, be on the leading edge of climate change, uh, sustainability, and resiliency. So right on. Well, yeah. we got coast to coast. We got New York and right. Honolulu covered. Right. Feel like the, co- the country yeah. is um, moving in the right direction. Yeah. So. All right, yeah. Well, Mr. Sambro, thank, thank you very much. Yes. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah, good to talk with you. The music for this show was written and composed by Kevin Johnston, and is titled "Kingdom Stowaway." <laughs>